Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. So we are deep into our series on Acts. We've been looking at God's kingdom mission for the church. We're going to see again that it really isn't the church. It's the kingdom that creates the church. That's the message of the book of Acts. It's the Lord Jesus continuing his ministry through his people. So we've got part one in Luke where Jesus is doing his ministry and announcing the kingdom of God and then demonstrating the kingdom of God by healing the sick and driving out demons and bringing true justice to people. And now we've got part two of that with Acts and his kingdom mission and ministry continues through his people. And we saw from the very beginning in Acts 1.8, Jesus told his disciples that They would be clothed with power from on high, with the Holy Spirit, and that they would take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. So we're watching that story unfold, aren't we? We're in chapter 19 today, and last week we ended chapter 18 by seeing the story moving from Corinth, that city of idols and immorality, and Paul was making disciples disciples and establishing a church, and then he's moving into the city of Ephesus, another key city in the empire, and it's another city that's filled with idolatry, and we're going to see some power encounters between the power of the Lord Jesus and magic, some of the things that were taking root in the heart of the people that need to hear the gospel. So today we're going to look at the first part of chapter 19, but we're going to cover the whole chapter. So we'll be in chapter 20 next week. But what we're going to see today is this. The kingdom of God is going to come near in the city of Ephesus. The power of God, the power of the gospel of Christ crucified is going to draw near in the city of Ephesus, and it's going to shake the powers of Ephesus. And we're going to see a handful of things that happen. And so for us, it's going to be, this is what happens when the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ goes forth in power. These things happen. Conversions to Christ, disciples are made, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, deliverance from demons and evil spirits, some of those things. So we're going to see the first here in verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to see the teaching of the Holy Spirit and the experience of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We look to you. Thank you that you're teaching us to continue worship as we open the word of God and we encounter you. Holy Spirit, teach us. We ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation as we open your word in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Acts 19, 1 to 7. And again, I encourage you to bring your own Bible, but we'll have slides up here if you don't have a Bible, and then we have pew Bibles. You can see there as well. Acts 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, 
Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus where he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, into what then were you baptized? They answered, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 of them. Friends, this is the very word of God that he gives to us. So in this first section here, we see what happens when the kingdom of God draws near is that teaching about the Holy Spirit occurs. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit is taught and experienced. Do you see that there? For some reason, Paul was prompted to ask these people a question. What was it that he was observing? He knew that there was something that they needed to hear, something that they needed to experience. Perhaps he was noticing the way they prayed. He was noticing something, a gap in their spiritual life. They needed more joy, power. And so he asks this question. And look at their answer in verse 2. We have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. As I read this this week, I heard that this is much of the United States church today. We do not even know that there is a Holy Spirit. Or we say there is a Holy Spirit, but what the Spirit does is empower teaching. That's it. Maybe some conviction of sins, but friends, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. The Spirit is God. The early church fathers said if we're truly Trinitarian, then the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are worshiped and glorified. And when we do that, the Spirit of God glorifies Jesus is what we're going to see in this text. But these folks had not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. So he asks them, into what then were you baptized? What were you immersed in? What were you identifying with? And they said, into John the Baptist's baptism. And then he explains to them at verse 4, doesn't he? John was baptizing in preparation of the Messiah. He was the forerunner. He was bringing in a baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the coming one, Christ. It's very interesting here. Like Apollos, do you remember Apollos in the previous section? He had some gaps in his faith, some gaps in his understanding, and we're seeing the same thing here. So Paul is explaining to them, giving them a fuller picture about Jesus. We don't know because the text doesn't say, but we get to see his preaching and teaching in other places so most likely, he's talking about the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the Father's right hand, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's explaining these things to them, and then they're rebaptized. It's very interesting. 
We're seeing this over and over again. It's problematic if people take one particular place in Acts and make it normative for everywhere else, for all time. Acts gives us different instances where people are encountering God in different ways. Some are baptized right off the bat. Some receive the Holy Spirit before baptism, some after. The point of this is God does what he wants to do with responsive people. But Paul baptizes them, and it's not just in the name of the Lord Jesus, because Jesus says in Matthew 28, we're baptized into what? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you can be sure that that's happening there, but there's an identification with Jesus that's happening, moving from kind of focusing on the forerunner, John the Baptist, to now the Lord Jesus. Friends, what's awesome, he is bringing the teaching, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit rooted in Scripture, but it's not just left there, is it? They get to experience the teaching about the Holy Spirit. So what does Paul do? Verse 6, he lays his hands on them, just as Christ did. He's learned these things from Jesus from the other apostles, and so Paul says, I want you to experience what I've been talking about. I want you to have a first-hand encounter with the resurrected Jesus and with the spirit that he's poured out. So friends, here they have a little mini Pentecost, don't they? Liam read Acts 2, and it seems that the power of Pentecost reverberates through the whole book of Acts, doesn't it? So they have... Another Pentecost here. They're swept up into what happened all the way back in chapter 2. And the text says there's about 12 of them. Where have you heard that number before? At verse 7. Luke, the historian, is very deliberate about his use of numbers. So most likely here it's signifying that there's another 12 forming. That there's 12 original disciples and apostles that become 120 in the upper room. And now we're seeing in a whole nother region, a whole nother part of the world, there's 12 again. And so we're seeing the Jesus movement in the power of the Holy Spirit take off. One person I was reading this week, love his work, Craig Keener. He's a man who loves the word of God and loves the work of the Holy Spirit. And listen to what he says about this passage. The Holy Spirit's activity in the book of Acts is a model and an expectation for the church today. Not simply a record of past historical events. So friends, as we look at this, we're grateful for the record. We're grateful for the accurate history, but it's Holy Spirit history. And so I want to ask you today, have you experienced the power of, of Pentecost in your life. Let me rephrase it. Have you experienced the power of Pentecost recently in your life? If not, let's experience that again together today maybe. We teach about the Holy Spirit and then we make space to encounter the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. This text all week has left me longing for more. Are you longing for more? Do you ever get to a place where you don't or you should not long for anymore? What do you think? No, I think that we have 
an appetite, a hunger, a thirst. And we mention around here, people may ask, are there multiple infillings of the Holy Spirit or one? We say multiple. It's what we find in the book. But it's also because we leak. I leak. You leak. So I need to be filled time and time again. And the Lord was filling people this morning, wasn't he? We worship him. We exalt him. We remind ourselves he is king. He's Lord. And he fills us with his presence and power. A second thing that's found, let's read verses 8 through 10. He enters the synagogue, and for three months, Paul is speaking out boldly and arguing persuasively about what? The kingdom of God. When some stubbornly refused to believe, and they spoke evil of the way, the way of Christ, before the congregation, Paul left them, taking the disciples with him. And he argued daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, And this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. A second thing that happens when the kingdom of God draws near, as it is in the city of Ephesus, there is persuasive preaching about King Jesus. Verses 8 through 10, Paul is entering into the synagogue and we've seen him in the past have run-in after run-in with his own people that he loves. His heart bleeds for them. And he says, I'm moving on to the Gentiles, but what happens here? He goes back to the synagogue, his love for his people. So he's speaking to them about the promised Messiah, about the rule and reign of God in the person of Jesus. This is the seventh time that the kingdom of God has come up in the Acts story. It is the message at the heart of the book of Acts, and it is the center of the scriptures, the kingdom of God in Christ. Those of you who were here for Derek Morphew when you got the turbo high-octane two-day lecture on the kingdom of God, do you remember how he summarized the message of the kingdom in scripture? What was it? Help me out here. Anyone remember? Everyone's going, what was it? God promised to come. And what was the second part? Anybody remember? And, and he did come, and he will come again, something like that. So that is what Paul is teaching the people here. Through the Old Testament scriptures, he's laying out a clear picture of the promised messianic king, the anointed one, and he's preaching about the rule and reign of God in the person of Jesus And he's saying, God promised that he would come. He came. Open your eyes to the man Jesus, the crucified and resurrected one. But as we've seen over and over again, some people resist Paul, don't they? They resist the message of the gospel of the kingdom. But it's not up to Paul to convince them. He's supposed to share the message just as we are. And if people resist and badmouth There's only so much a person can do. Look at how long he does this, church. Does he do this for a couple weeks, a couple months? How long is Paul preaching and teaching and helping them experience the kingdom of God? How long? Two years. Two years. 
and we're able to research and see, and there's evidence of this lecture hall of this guy named Tyrannus. His name means tyrant. So it's the lecture hall of the tyrant. Any of you had a teacher that you could call the tyrant? Somehow this person was famous or infamous for being a tyrannical teacher. And so Paul is renting out or maybe using for free this lecture hall. And we know this from writings from this period that Paul was probably using the lecture hall from about 11 a.m. till 4 in the afternoon. Four or five hours a day, the Apostle Paul is opening the scriptures. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's making disciples for two years. And what's the result of that? Look at the end of that section at verse 10. The whole of Asia Minor is hearing the gospel, the word about the Lord Jesus. I've got a map here. Why don't we throw up that first map just so you can get an idea. If you look over on the far right, it's kind of hard to see, but Syrian Antioch is where Paul starts. And if you follow, those are little stars. So that's destination one and two. He's up in Galatia, that area. And then over on the far left where that... Number three is, that's where he is. Paul is bringing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to that whole region. We're talking thousands, hundreds of thousands, and eventually millions of people are impacted by Paul, this former Christ hater that Jesus has now sent on these missionary journeys. It's his third missionary journey. Friends, we're all missionaries. Did you know that? As we look at this, if we remember what Keener just said, this isn't just a a historical record for us to look at and marvel at. It's actually a model for us to follow and be emboldened by. You're a missionary. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're in his church, you're filled with his spirit, it's not a matter of, Lord, could I be a missionary? Could I be sent? Friends, you are. Look at where you are. The Lord has you where you're supposed to be, and that is your mission field. Might be school, might be a workplace, might be as you're out and about through the day as a mom of several kids, you are a missionary filled with the authority, the power of Jesus. And the Lord wants to spread the news about him and help people experience it through you. Amen? Look at verses 11 through 16. A third thing that happens. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to let you see it here. Look at verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that when handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, their diseases left them. And evil spirits came out of them. Then some itinerant or traveling Jewish exorcists tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit said to them in reply, Jesus I know and Paul I know. But who are you? Then the man with the evil spirits leaped on them, mastered them all, and so overpowered them that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Rough day for these 
wannabe exorcists, wasn't it? So the third thing we see here is that God, when the kingdom of God draws near, God performs extraordinary miracles. There's healing, there's evil spirits being driven out of people. Again, Paul just didn't teach. It's words and works. It's a vineyard value. It's an all saints value here. We speak the words about the kingdom, and then we want to do the works of the kingdom. Now, friends, who is this doing the miracles? This is important. Verse 11. Who is it? God. Sometimes we think when we pray for the sick, when we address the demonic, somehow I have to muster up a whole lot of faith. I've got to have the energy, the power, the holiness. This is God who does the miracles. And we want all of those things, right? So we avail ourselves. We let the Lord work on us and in us and through us. But this is God Almighty doing the miracles. All we have to do is speak on his behalf, perhaps lay hands on someone, and leave it up to him. It's the power of God that works all of these things. The power of God that heals broken and sick bodies. The power of God that drives out demons. Is this strange to you as you look at how this happened? Some of you may have images in your mind where people are falsely representing what happened here. They might throw clothing objects or coats at someone. That is not what this text is getting at here. This is a mysterious part of the Bible. And so we have great reverence. It means what it says. It says what it means. And these things happened. The words here for handkerchiefs or aprons are basically sweatbands. So we've learned what does Paul do for a living? He's a tent maker. He's working with leather. He's stitching. He's cutting. He's working in that Mediterranean sun. He gets sweaty. And so these are bands that Paul would have tied around his head, handkerchiefs in his pocket. These are sweaty bands that people take from Paul because he can't physically go to these various places and they say, God is up to something so powerful. God Almighty is working miracles. So anything that's touched this guy, can we please use it? Automatically, our good Protestant minds, we think of relics and different things. Friends, this is what the text says. Clear away all of that misunderstanding. The Lord did this. Could he do it again today? You're not going to call an 800 number and get an anointed prayer cloth for $29.99. But all of that stuff, that riffraff that's around this, makes it cloudy and ambiguous the Lord chose to heal through Paul's sweatbands. God offends the mind to reveal the heart. God does what he wants to do. Now, I had a, a few years ago, Amanda and I had dinner with a gentleman, and he was telling stories about being in China. And he was talking about the revival breaking out in China. Very trustworthy guy. Old timer in the vineyard. And he said, I was there, I watched people would pile up pieces of cloth in a central village in China, big old mound of it, and they would pray and fast and worship and ask the Lord's presence to be with whoever had a piece of that cloth. And then they would go out into villages and revival would break out. Healings would break out. Demons would leave people because of this text right here. Friends, our Western minds 
Now, I'm not calling for everyone to get into the hanky ministry. That's not it at all. But the Lord, I am calling you to be open to what the Lord might want to do that might blow your mind. Amen? I've shared with you, I deal with doubt and skepticism and all this, but I'm submitted to what this text says. And that is the Lord chose to do it this way, and apparently he's doing it in other parts of the world. And this gentleman said, you would not believe what's happened in all of these different villages and towns because the Christians, the Chinese Christians read this and practiced it, and the Lord honored it. So extraordinary miracles are happening. Very quickly here, these seven sons of Sceva, these are traveling exorcists, those who would use charms and magical sayings to try to drive demons out of people. And so they're trying their business again here. And the evil spirit seems to be the smartest one in that part of the narrative and says, I don't know who you are. I know Jesus. I know Paul, his servant. And this just reminds us here too that the name of Jesus, the name of Paul in the political world may not have much sway, but in the spirit realm, you better believe that the Lord Jesus and his saints are known. Wouldn't you like to be that kind of person? The demons tremble when you come because you're worshiped up, you're prayed up, you're clinging to Jesus and walking in his presence and power. So the demons say, I know who that person is. And I know they're getting ready to do business with me and drive me out in the name of Jesus. And that's the point here. God does extraordinary miracles by the authority of Jesus. And his name is not a magical amulet. It's not something that you can use secondhand. You've got to be in relationship with the person of Jesus. That's what the text is saying here. Paul knew the Lord Jesus. He hated him previously. Now he knows him. He walks with him. He submitted to him. He obeys him, and therefore he is an authorized agent. Look at verse 14. It's quick here. All this is going on. Verse 17 shows us a fourth thing. When this story became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, basically everyone, everyone was awestruck. And the name of the Lord Jesus was praised. Friends, that's the fourth thing that happens. When the kingdom of God draws near, the name of Jesus is exalted and feared. People stand in awe of him. They don't mock him anymore. They don't take his name lightly. They don't use his name as a swear word. They are struck by the power, the beauty, the glory, the authority of the name of Jesus. That's what we're after, aren't we? Here at All Saints, we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. We talk about prophecy and tongues and miracles and being set free from demons, all of these things. But the end result is that Jesus is exalted. The name of Jesus is lifted up. Not your name, not my name, not any local church's name. The name of Jesus is lifted up. And this becomes a test for us, a litmus test. Do you want to know if there's genuine Holy Spirit activity happening? Stand back and look. Is Jesus being lifted up? Is he eclipsing all the other people involved? The name of the Lord Jesus is praised. 
Look at verse 18 and 19 here, and we'll end shortly, and then we'll have a little ministry time. Verses 18 and 19. Also, many of those who became believers confessed and disclosed their practices. A number of those who practiced magic collected their books and burned them publicly. When the value of these books was calculated, it was found to come to 50,000 silver coins. So friends, the kingdom of God comes near to a pagan city like this, to a city like ours that needs Jesus desperately, and repentance and renunciation happen. These were people that were steeped in magic, the occult. We heard from Yosef a few weeks ago. He was steeped in magic and the occult. And so I was talking with him this week, and I said, what did you do in your repentance and your renunciation? And so he talked about taking inventory, asking the Lord, what do I need to purge from my life? What is there that's residual from that time? Friends, the Lord wants us to walk in repentance and to walk in the willingness to give up anything and everything for Jesus. Now, book burning can make us a little nervous, right? Nazi Germany, they burned books that contradicted and opposed what they were doing. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about books that Ephesus was famous for. Ephesus was famous for something called the Ephesian letters. And it was basically a a magic that had been there for generations to try to get people peace, to try to get people financial prosperity. And so this whole thing's being exposed as a, a, a sham, a scam. There's only one way to have peace. It's only one person that can bring prosperity of the soul. And that is Jesus. And so as they're coming to know the Lord Jesus, they're realizing the scales are removed from their eyes and they're realizing Ephesian magic is a joke. Devotion to Artemis, Diana is a joke. It's deception. And so they take a pile, a mound. We don't know how much it is, but some scholars think it was a few hundred thousand to a couple million dollars worth of books, valuable books, and they burn them. And the point of this is that when the Holy Spirit comes, he brings liberating conviction. The Holy Spirit's work is not heavy. He is a freedom bringer. Everything that he says, brings to mind, is for you to experience more freedom in Christ. To experience the lightness of Christ's yoke. To get out of the yoke of the devil and to experience the yoke of Christ. Amen? He's full of mercy and grace, but it requires us cooperating. The last thing here, look at verse 20. The word of the Lord is growing mightily and prevailing. That's the sixth thing that happens when the kingdom of God draws near. The word of the Lord, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ grows and prevails We're not looking at verses 21 to 41, but what ends up happening is a seventh thing. The powers of darkness are shaken. Basically, Paul and his team are bringing the gospel, making disciples, healing the sick, calling people out of magic, the bondage of that, calling them to Christ. 
and the powers of their idolatry and the business around that are shaken to the core and a riot breaks out in Ephesus. And they're going to the amphitheater and shouting about their gods for two hours. They're nuts. But the kingdom of God came near to Ephesus. Why don't we stand? Ask the worship team to come up. Ask the ministry team to come up as well. Friends, do we want the kingdom of God to draw near to Oklahoma City, to Edmond, to our region? We certainly do. And I think the Lord's calling us into a time of house cleaning. The Apostle Peter says that, that house cleaning, judgment, discipline begins where? With the house of the Lord. And so I'm sensing that God is doing some house cleaning with us. Luke, why don't you come up here? Luke had some things to share about ministry time, and then we'll move into it. Uh, yes, I just have a sense, um, based off of what's been happening to me this week and prior weeks, that the Lord in his kindness is calling us out of sin and into his love and his mercy. And for me, I've, I've viewed sin and repentance as like the big blaring sins for many years now. And he's showing me it's the little sins and it's even some of the day-to-day -day stuff that I'm caught in. And so I just sense the Lord saying to turn from the garbage, some of the garbage we're holding on to, and repent to his kindness. And then specifically, I had a sense um, that some of us have been through some serious hurt. And I've experienced some serious hurt, and I've had unforgiveness um, control my life. And I sense the Lord in his kindness in the midst of your hurt. Um, wanted to cause some of us to repent from unforgiveness today um, and to forgive maybe someone who's hurt us or someone who we have something against. And so if you'd like, come forward for prayer and any one of us would love to pray um, for the mercy to forgive today. So why don't we do that? Friends, some of you are hearing this week there is a, a visitation of the Holy Spirit at Asbury University. And Asbury is famous for something that happened in the 70s where the Spirit of God came, touched those students, and they had an ongoing, long season of turning to the Lord, worship, prayer, and repentance, and something's happening there now. I've got friends that are actually jumping in the car and driving to Asbury 12 hours to Kentucky today because they want some of that. So I, I think that the Lord can bring house cleaning and repentance and times of refreshing and preparation anywhere. So why don't we seek him for that today? We're going to take some time. You can get your kids, but we're going to linger in the Lord's presence. And let's do, let's lean into what Jesus is saying to us today. Amen.